0: Uh, just talking about the practicality of theology. And you guys know my heart that when we get into the Word of God, when we get into theology and what God's Word says, it has to translate in experiencing that theology. God didn't just give us some intellectual Um, concepts to wrap our minds around. He gave them to us to live them out. Theology was meant to be experienced. If you don't experience your theology, then you have a dead theology. And the theology that I read in my Bible is alive because it helps me connect with this God that created me. And uh, church, that is what the Christian life is all about. As we dig into this last section of 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to get into some deep stuff. And to be honest with you, I, I think we're going to go through it like ankle to knee deep. There's just so much stuff that we could get out of this passage that uh, I, I just realized that's going to be beyond our scope and our ability But, Lord willing, we're at least going to do a decent job, not just trying to understand it, but to be able to walk it out and make it super practical. 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, and it is not just a letter to a pastor that is for pastors. These are truths given to a pastor in a real world, in the context of persecution, the potential for Timothy to step back from persecution, step back from hardships rather than leaning into them. And this then becomes a very practical book because church, isn't that what we're called to do? We live in a culture that wants to push against Christianity and in their own little ways persecute Christians. And hey, you know what, Christians, you've had your time. Now it's time for other religions and other, just some whacked out ideas. And I'm just going to tell you, church, now of all times, we need to dig into a book like this. We need to stand firm, be unashamed, hold to the unadulterated truth of God's word that's inerrant. It is truth, and it's so very practical. I think we're going to find that out today. I want to look at this idea of what it feels like to be left behind. What it feels like to be abandoned. Now, some of you can remember like years and years ago when you felt abandoned. Maybe it was when you didn't get picked for the kickball team or for you know dodgeball that was really big we always had to pick teams for dodgeball and there were some people they were like they were the last ones but i mean how did they feel i can remember there was a time in which i i can't i, I can't remember exactly how old i was but i was really young maybe three four five somewhere around in there really young and we were on vacation actually heading up to maine and we pit stopped in rhode island where my grandmother's sister So we called her aunt And that's where she lived And we had spent maybe the two nights Whatever it is In the last, last day there I fell asleep on the couch And we were leaving in the latter part of the morning I fell asleep on the couch And my parents packed up and they left uh, I woke up And I'm just kind of looking around Hmm I-, I should probably write a movie about this Home Alone or something, I don't know. And so there I was, and I'm just kind of wondering, well, this is so strange. Mom, Dad, whatever. Now, my aunt came out, and she said, oh, Michael. And she drops the story. Now, it wasn't too long, and my parents came back, and I, to be honest with you, I made it through okay. I didn't feel like my parents hated me or anything. My mom finally convinced my dad to turn around. No, I'm just kidding. But the truth is, she just, they just didn't know. They just didn't know. So, you know, there's potential for us to perceive rejection in life. And it's not really rejection, but we're going to look at a, a passage today in which Paul experiences genuine rejection. So you understand rejection can be perceived, but not real. And, and in all honesty, that's where a lot of rejection comes. As a pastor, I have to help people sort through this. We can feel lonely when, in fact, we're truly not alone. We can feel abandoned or rejected when that's not the case, but we are set up to believe it. And so for us, it is. And we feel rejected. But there is a rejection, it comes from the world, it comes from people. And it is real. Paul, for Paul, it was real. I want to look at this. I want to ask this question after I read it. When we feel abandoned, alone or lonely, rejected, or even betrayed, what do we do? What do you do? I think we're going to find some keys here that are going to be helpful for us. So let me just read through this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Timothy to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come... Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. That's a statement of fact, by the way. It's not just Paul's feeling. I just I just felt like everybody did no nobody was there. Statement of fact. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Understand, Paul is in Rome. He's on trial. He's not under house arrest. He's actually in the dungeon. He comes up from the dungeon. He's on trial. And God delivers him in that first trial. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And let me just say, on that second time in which he uses, it's a synonym for delivered, it's rescue. He does not mean that he will be acquitted and he will not be martyred. Because he says the Lord will rescue me and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom, he's pretty sure he's going to die. But in that process, God is going to keep us... We're going to need to look at that in just a little bit. So here are the facts. Verse 16, it says, everyone deserted me. No one, at my first offense, no one stood by my side. That's a fact. Verse 9, it says that Demas deserted me. Same Greek word, by the way. Demas deserted me. It also says that he did it because he loved this world. Let's understand Colossians 4.14, because we hear of Demas two times before. Demas, excuse me, in Colossians 4.14, he says, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Now, that means that Demas had to be very close to Paul. And about the time that the book of Colossians was sent, Philemon, who lived in Colossae, a letter written to Philemon, was sent with it as well. Okay? Philemon 24 says this concerning people sending greetings. And he says, so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So Demas is not just a close friend and a supporter to Paul, but a supporter of Paul in his ministry. He was a co-laborer. He was he worked with him. He labored with him. He was persecuted with him. He witnessed the the uh, the assaults. He maybe he even witnessed Alexander the metalworker. They they think maybe that's the same Alexander in Ephesus. They don't know or the same Alexander that's talked about in 1 Timothy chapter one, where Paul had to disfellowship. We don't know. But this Demas was an enemy. Fact. He opposed the message. Fact. He did Paul. What does it say in your text? Mine says great harm. Fact. Can I just point out something here? Nowhere in this passage, in all of Paul's being alone, standing alone, and eventually after the first defense before Caesar, Luke came so that he actually says, then Luke is with me. He's the only one who's with me, right? And everyone else is gone. There is no mention of, I feel rejected. I feel abandoned. And then how he responds to that. Now, I'm not saying that if he felt that way, it would be wrong. I get it. Wow. I would feel rejected. I would feel, wow, Demas, Dude, we, we lived, we did life together. We suffered together so much, and now this. I'm going to surmise there, there's two possibilities what it means that Demas loved the world. It could mean that he just didn't want to be persecuted. But my, my the challenge that that presents that, that I'm presented with that possibility is this that it would be much it would have sounded much smoother lighter on demas if that were the case for him to have said he loved this life not this world he loved this life i mean after all timothy is tempted not to visit paul in prison that's what chapter one was all about don't be ashamed of me and my chains timothy come on now i believe your faith is a deposit in your life of truth come on fan that uh, stir up that gift that's in you, fan it into flame. Be bold and speak out. Don't shrink back. Come on now. There, you could perceive Timothy was stepping into this shame, and he challenges him. If, if that's all that Demas was doing, I really think Paul would have been a little lighter here, and he would have said that he he loved this life, not this world. Because that phrase comes to us, for example, in 1 John 2, verse 15. And I will find that here in just a minute. Okay. 1 John 2, verse 15. It says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the flesh or of simple man, the lust of his eyes and the boastings of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And so this idea of loving the world is a sin issue. It's not just a, wow, if, if I go to Paul's defense that's not going to help me out i'm not sure it's going to really help him in his situation it might make him feel loved it might make him feel as if i'm there for him but okay it's either his life or my life and and i'm just going to choose my life i don't think that's what demas wrestled with demas left the ministry the things in this world pulled him away and paul is is left thinking wow so He loved the things in this world more than our relationship, more than God himself, and that broke Paul's heart. Now, I don't think he faults Crescens for going to Thessalonica. Excuse me, Demas went to Thessalonica. Crescens to Galatia, or Titus going to Dalmatia. Dalmatia was a little bit north of Greece. So you have Greece next door to Greece, on the other side of the the waters is italy that's where paul is so for paul it's kind of northeast if you're in greece it's a little bit more northwest regardless that's where titus went preaching the gospel doing the work of the kingdom paul is not blaming him this is just this is just the way life has unfolded but i am now here by myself not only do the people close to me They're busy, 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 and they can't be with me, but when it came time for someone to stand with him, the church in Rome to stand with him, in his first defense, nobody did. Paul focuses on facts. He doesn't focus on the emotion of it. That's not to say that there was no emotion there. He just chooses not to focus on it. You know, it's, it's really popular in psychology today to affirm emotions. And I have mixed feelings about that. We just assume, yeah, validate emotions. Affirm emotions. To affirm means to put a stamp of approval on. I'm sorry, there's just some emotions I can't put my stamp of approval on, therefore I can't affirm them. But that is so big in psychology. Christians are taught, affirm emotions, validate emotions. Here's a better way to maybe say this. Validate people in their emotions, okay? What does the Bible say about bitterness? Bitterness is an emotion, right? It's an emotion. You're experiencing bitterness, that's an emotion. What does Paul say about it? Does Paul validate bitterness? Does Paul... Um, affirm anybody's bitterness? No. He says in Ephesians 4, get rid of it. What does he say about anger? Now, not all anger, because he says, in your anger don't sin. So we're talking about sinful anger. What does he say about anger? In the very same verse, get rid of rage. Get rid of anger, rage, brawling, slander, bitterness, all forms of malice. Get rid of these things. But can I tell you this? He doesn't just deal with the emotion. He deals with the root cause. In the very next verse, he says, but be kind and compassionate, doing what? Do you remember? Forgiving one another, just as in Christ, God forgave you. What's the reason for anger? What's the reason for bitterness? It is unforgiveness. It's an offense against you that you're pushing against and you want to do harm to. And this is the type of anger and bitterness and rage that he's talking about. What you don't want to say is, you shouldn't feel that way. Now, granted you don't want people to be struggling with bitterness but if you say you shouldn't be bitter you shouldn't feel that way here's an illustration it's like you're sitting next to a driver and you're looking across the dashboard and suddenly the check engine light comes on and you say that check engine light shouldn't come on you hand the driver a hammer and he smashes the dashboard light problem solved right? What, what, if, if, if the dashboard light's not on anymore. Well, of course it's. Of course you didn't fix the problem. Just by dealing with an emotion, that doesn't solve the problem. How do you deal with bitterness? Okay, I just won't, I'm not going to feel better. Okay, I'm not going to feel better. Not going to feel better. Come on, anger. No, No. 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 Y- you get rid of it by dealing with the heart issue. So. I get it when we're saying affirm emotions. We don't want to attack the emotions. That doesn't help. You shouldn't feel the way, that doesn't help anybody. But what you want to do is you want to be understanding, asking questions, engaging, because that will make or help people feel loved. And then as that happens, and they permit it, step into their boat and help shoulder the problem with them, okay? So we go through stuff, guys. Paul is going through some issues of rejection, abandonment, I entitled the message Abandoned. That's exactly what has happened to Paul. But how do we respond to that? You know what most of us will do, and I include myself, most of us will want to retaliate. We'll want to do something to the person. And that's not what Paul does. Paul does not engage in vengeance. In verse 16, he says, At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted. May it not be held against them. He doesn't say, "And, and they just abandoned me, so God, you know what to do with them. Oh yeah, come on. He doesn't say something like this. Now, can I just be honest with you? There have been times in which I have felt that way. And if you have been through deep rejection, church, there is that desire that starts creeping up and it's called the flesh in which we do want harm to come to person because hey if you're hurting me if you're making me hurt then i want you to hurt too that is called the flesh i get that man probably all of us have been there that's not how paul responds though paul also doesn't respond with self-pity there are three ways in which you can feel loved the first way is feeling love from god the second way is feeling love from people and the third way is feeling love from yourself now here is the strange thing about human creatures when we are not sensing god's love when we're not sensing people's love we revert to loving ourselves in a very strange i'm going to use the word perverted way that's sexually perverted okay i'm talking about pervert twisted we're fallen creatures and so what do we do in a pity party is that we begin Woe is me i just can't believe this is happening man why does this always happen to me we got to throw that always in right church but it always happened to me Why do they always do this to me? It's only the second time. But they always do it, right? And things begin to get blown out of proportion. And we begin to pity ourselves. And guess what? It makes us feel loved. That's why we do it. But it doesn't help. Actually, pity, self-pity, causes you to go on a spiral downward. Paul. When he is in the midst of this, he chooses not to focus on his own personal feelings. And come on, Timothy, isn't this terrible? Just send me a letter and tell me, you know, how much how how, how pitiful my situation. I want somebody to pity. If nobody's going to do it, then I'm going to do it. Okay, Paul doesn't do this. Now I'm speaking rather frankly right now, because church. We all engage in this. I have engaged in this. And I, I'm not going to get into the story because I've shared with it, shared it with you before. But there was a time in which God had to really dig deep into my life to pull this issue of self-pity out of my life. And it was there for a reason. And I think Paul is going to give us a few helpful truths here uh, in, in this passage as we look at it. that that I believe is going to point us in the right direction. But he does not engage in self-pity. He does not point the finger. He does not seek vengeance. He doesn't do any of those things. Do you know what he does? He focuses on truth, not just what is. What is? rather than his feelings but what is true what is true about god do you know what's true about god he says here he says when i was there and none of my friends were there with me and by the way lord may it not be held against them man i get it it was so hard for anybody to have stood with me so i get that but you know what i was there all alone but i was not alone i felt lonely maybe but I was not alone. Everyone had abandoned me. Everyone had deserted me. But I was not alone. The Lord was with me and he gave me strength. And, and, and here's what he does. His focus here is not uh, so much on his deliverance, though he includes that. Where's his focus? Look at the passage. you know where his focus is? The Lord was there. He gave me strength. To proclaim the gospel. The very people that wanted to condemn him were the very ones he wanted to tell about Jesus. And invite them into this thing called the kingdom of God. That they too would be able to experience this amazing inheritance that is offered to sons of God. True believers in Jesus Christ. Eternal life. Caesar, You're dead in your sins, but Jesus can wake you up. Jesus can make you alive. Jesus is the one that can connect you with the Father, and only he can do this. Other than that, other than Jesus himself, there is no prayer for you. There is no hope for you outside of Christ. I'm not saying that that's what he said, but that is what proclaiming the gospel in that situation would mean. Paul declaring the hope of Christ to his enemies. The very ones that wanted him dead. The very ones who wanted to point the finger at him. I mean, Christians were were, were condemned for being monotheists. That was a crime. So, Paul finds strength In God. Do you remember what happened when David, 1 Samuel chapter 30, I guess, 30 or 31, I'm trying to remember. I've got it written down here. Chapter 30, yeah. He had taken his 600 men with him going north to actually fight with the Philistines against Israel, against King Saul. Now, we can only speculate, what are, you, what are you doing, David? I mean, David had an opportunity on two occasions to kill Saul, and is he really going to fight for the Philistines to kill King Saul? Of course he's not. So he has a plan, we just don't know what it is. And the Philistine kings, there's five of them, group together and say, you know what, I, I, I just i i don't like this idea of david coming with us I, you need to send him back so david is sent back all him and all 600 men they come back to ziklag, ziklag and the amalekites have burned the city taken all of their women and their children and in david's mind and all of his men they're as good as dead they're as good as dead everything that they had it burned houses burned family gone nothing left they wanted to stone david and it says right there david in that moment david found strength in god when david was rejected by all of his men wanting to kill him he found strength in God. Just like Paul, when he was on his first in his first defense, the Lord stood by my side and strengthened me. How did Paul, how did David do that? How did Paul do that? And in 1 Samuel 23, this same phrase is used again, except it says that that Jonathan helped David find strength in God. And he did it by reminding him of God's promise. David, you're going to be sitting on the throne, not me. Make me second in command, but you you will be the king. Regardless of what my father King Saul says, God's promise will stand true. Church, know this, that when you feel rejected, there is one way to find strength. It is not by looking at the past and regretting it. It's not by fearing the future. The complete opposite. You know what it says here? It says that Paul looked to the past and he said that God delivered me from the lion's mouth. That demonstrated to Paul that God was for him. That God hadn't abandoned him. Let's be honest. If I were to ask the question, how many of you have ever felt rejected or abandoned or unloved by God probably all of us would be raising our hand me too i'd probably be raising both of them i have felt that way before david i'm sure felt that way but in that moment he pressed in and instead of focusing on his feelings instead of trying to affirm them he dug into truth what is true god's promises they're true god has delivered me in the past and his love is firm and unshakable truth. What does he do next? He focuses on the future. Not a fear of the future, but of the promise. And you know what? He is going to rescue me. He's going to bring me safely into his eternal kingdom. Church, here is a truth. When you are feeling attacked... That is spiritual warfare. When you're wanting to pity yourself, that's spiritual warfare. It's like the devil just trying to suck you into this vortex, if I can use that word. I think I'm using it right. And you're just like, you're ready to just spiral and crash and burn. But it feels good. It feels right. But it is so slippery, it will just suck you right in there, and it will suck the very life out of you, church. And the only way out of it is to be grounded in truth. God has delivered me in the past. He has provided for you. He loves you with an unfailing love that will never be shaken. That is true yesterday, today, and it will be true tomorrow. And you know what, church? God is going to take you safely through this life. I'm not saying he's going to deliver you from every single trial. Nope. He's not going to do that. I can promise you he's not going to do it. Actually, Paul, if you remember in chapter 3, says, anyone who wants to live a godly life, guess what? Woohoo! You're going to suffer. You're going to be persecuted. That's right. That's the promise today. All right, we're done. Let's go home. You're going to be persecuted. Isn't that great? Well, that's what he told Timothy. Anyone who wants to live godly in this life, anyone who wants to hold to the truth, anyone who wants to go through life the way God has told us to do it, You're going to suffer persecution because you are in Satan's crosshairs. That's just the plain truth. Some of you feel that way even right now. You feel like you're in Satan's crosshairs. You feel like, man, it has just been one thing after the other. When's the other shoe going to drop, right? Well, guess what? God's unshakable truth is this. He has loved you in the past. He's going to love you today, and he's going to love you tomorrow. And there is nothing that is going to separate you from that love. Nothing. Secondly, God has this amazing plan and purpose for your life. It includes suffering, church. Sorry about that. That's just a truth. You can't get away from that in this fallen world. But I tell you what, he is going to take you safely, to, If you trust in him. If you look to him, if you stand in his word, if you cling to his promises and cling to his truth, he's going to take you safely there. You will not fall away and you will spend all of eternity with him if you stay grounded in this truth. And that's where it all comes back to. Satan is the father of lies and his weapon against you is lies. He wants to undermine the truth of God. You know what it says? That the beast does in revelation 13 is that he slanders heaven in other words he accuses god of lying it's not true and he undermines god's promises and his truth now for me then to be root for me then to find strength in god just like david i'm going to focus on his promises I'm going to focus on the very fact that he loves me and that truth is unshakable and he has a future and that future is good. Church, your future is good. Your future, if you stay grounded in truth, is secure. We are kept by the power of God through faith. You abandon faith, don't expect God to just say, hey, you know, God will keep you by his power through faith and there are times and we talked about this in chapter two our faith can be sporadic that when we abandon faith that means we turn our backs on him completely and reject him that's not my topic for tonight though you know what god says come back to the truth stand on that truth and that truth is that he loves you and he will continue to love you and he has such good purposes for you he will take you safely to his to his heavenly kingdom church are you aware of this truth that this life is so short this feeling of rejection that is very real in your life maybe even right now the sense maybe of even God has abandoned me. I get that. You, we can feel that way. But I want to call you out of that self-pity. I want to call you out of that God has abandoned me mindset because that's not true. That's not true. And, and this is spiritual wherefore. You, you know what? I, I really appreciate that there's an aspect of the movie luther that i really appreciate and that is when he's in the prison and he is on his knees and he is crying out to god and he is commanding satan get off my back you are a liar you speak lies i will not listen to you father just guard my heart draw me to you and you can feel this tug of war and it is very real and and martin luther refuses to cater to the lies of the enemy And I so appreciate that uh, about Martin Luther because he was one man who regardless of what you did to him he was going to stand on that truth he could do no other. And you know what church when it comes to this issue of abandonment that's where we've got to be. I will stand on this truth. What else can I do? I'm not going to abandon this truth. Truth is everything in our life. That's why you the greatest attack in our culture in our day right now is truth it's relative that's your truth this is my truth when you start saying that all truth is is opinion truth is not opinion truth is fact it's rooted in history it's rooted in what god promises for the future this is truth and that's what we find written here paul stands on that doesn't okay so i get it people people deserted him and, and sometimes, like with uh, Demas, unjustly. Alexander, his enemy, attacking him. And you know what, church? Just realize, when people attack you, when people do harm to you, the Lord will repay them. Not you. The Lord will repay them. If they're non-Christians god is going to repay if they're christians god will rebuke them he he will get their attention he'll take them through whatever he needs to to bring them to that place of repentance but for non-christians they will reap what they sow they can't avoid it and god and, and excuse me paul is simply speaking this truth he's not speaking it out of animosity oh yeah come on lord do it to him nope you know what god is going to bring justice into this man's life and timothy avoid him because he will set you up he will purse he will seek to do you harm just like he did me so this is not a good guy don't link arms with him now i we don't know exactly what alexander did with paul but paul's clear here he did me great harm there's no animosity on paul's part that i can read in this verse He leaves that to the Lord because vengeance is mine. I will repay says the Lord. You know, it's interesting. He concludes this chapter with greetings. He doesn't digress into his personal feelings and how abandoned he feels. But he steps out and he starts focusing on people. He starts focusing on Priscilla and Aquila. Greet them. And also the household of Anaciforus, which he's mentioned in chapter one. He's concerned about Trophimus, hey, as if to say, Timothy, when you're going through Asia Minor and you come to Troas to get my scrolls, when you're right there in um, w- when you're there in uh, Miletus, which is near Ephesus, maybe check in on maybe check in on Trophimus because I left him sick i mean that's why he would mention it right paul's focus is outward one of the best remedies to move past the setup because that's what it is church satan's setting us up with feelings of rejection spiraling inward or attacking others it is to focus on the truths of what god actually says and his eternal love and then start focusing on the needs of people that's how you get out of it serve and, and, and when you place yourself into that position to give, trust me, if you feel like there's just nothing there to give, God will give you something. That is just who God is. But put yourself in that position. How can I serve? What can I do? Because this life is not about Mike Curtis. It's just not. It is about you guys. That's my view in life. Now, if I'm Jim here... I'm going to say, my life is not about Jim. My life is all about you guys, okay? so But you understand my point. That's what Paul is saying. Hey, it's all about you guys. Greet these people. Hey, I left him, left him sick. Check in on him. And then he talks about, you know what? Pudens, Linus and Claudia and all the brothers, they just want you to know they love you so much. They send their greetings to you, Timothy. We love you. And you're my son in the faith. And that's how he concludes. It's not about Paul. He's already touched on the various facts there and then what needs to be done now. It's, hey guys, my life is being poured out like a drink offering. Just as I said, it's all about you guys. And that's how he concludes. Church, we're gonna face persecution in our day. We're gonna face hardships. We're gonna face feelings of abandonment. Sometimes from God, get rooted in truth. Sometimes from others, don't stray from the truth, and then begin to focus outward and love people. That is how we make it, church. As long as we can stay grounded in the truth, hold to it. Don't listen to modern psychology today. Just realize that the truth that they bring—it's it's a mixed bag. It is always a mixed bag. Isn't that what Satan did? with jesus in the wilderness oh you know jump off the pinnacle after all scripture says of course he left out a verse to keep you in all your ways that was very significant there but satan's always wanting to give half truths just enough truth for buy-in oh yeah i didn't tell you this did i but and satan will always do whatever he needs to to pull you to him. And I'm sure he tried plenty with Paul, but Paul stayed grounded in truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So church, as we're wrapping up this book, I just want to say, stand in the truth. Be unmoved. Your emotions, there are times in which they're raging in you. Stand firm in truth. You need a Jonathan that might help come along your side and help you find strength in God don't be afraid to bring friends close to you in those times but we all need them we all need them for paul he only had luke at this time that was enough he says hey you know and bring mark because he was helpful for me and you come too. bring in the reinforcements i'm not going down without a battle but i need you by my side let's for many of us that's what we need stand with each other then and help them find strength in god that's what this is about all right well can you stand with me i want to close in prayer i want to pray for you this is a very real issue that all christians struggle with some more than others but the answers are still the same the answers are still the truth the truth of god's word and when you feel unloved understand this that god's love for you is eternal and, and let me just close with this some of us went in counseling when i share some of these truths with them some people still don't get it and they will still feel rejected because what i'm sharing with you eventually comes back to your relationship with god and i've had some people say you know mike i, I just it's so hard for me to love a god that i can't say i get that i understand that but that's why for me anyway every day church every day i have to spend time in this book and i have to spend time on my knees sometimes like martin luther in that prison cell but just crying out to god in this moment be my strength and if i let days go by i am going to be weak. i'm going to be weak they say seven days without prayer makes one week Right? Yeah. And and I'm just going to tell you, church, if you're in that struggle right now, the first thing that you need to do is just run to him. Just run to him and let him love you. Father, I just pray for every single one of us. Would you reignite in our hearts a love for you? Father, if we're feeling distant, just wrap your arms of love around each of us that feel that way and just speak once again words of truth into our ears just give us ears to hear father there's so much truth that we sang tonight so much truth i will put my trust in you alone and i will not be shaken that is our firm declaration tonight. Thank you for the people you called along our side right now, God. May every single one of us, every day, find strength in God. Be that strength. If no one else is with us, then you stand by our side and be that strength. But we trust you, God. Thank you. Where there needs to be healing, impart healing tonight, God. Where there's a battle raging. I'm just asking you, Father, that you... you, rebuke the devourer and that he would flee and that, Father, we would have strength in you and stand firm. We cry out to you, God, do this, we ask. Thank you, Lord.